just before we get started, a heads up that this episode contains a lot of different notification sounds, ambient sounds and music. If you'd prefer to listen without any of those and just hear the interviews, there's an alternative version of this episode available on intercom.com forward slash blog forward slash podcasts. The link to it is in the show notes. Sound permeates throughout our every day. It lets us know when we've got a message or when to mind the closing doors of public transport. It lets us know when it's safe to cross the road. Many of these sounds are important and necessary, but sometimes they can affect us in unintentional ways. For example, there's a small laundrette around the corner from where I live. There's only really space for one or two people to step in and leave their bag of laundry to the staff. When I walk in, a doorbell sound is automatically triggered. It lets them know that me, a customer, has arrived so they can come out from the back room and take my laundry bag. But sometimes it takes them a few minutes before they actually come to the counter. And all the while, more and more customers are arriving behind me. Each time a new customer comes in, the doorbell rings. And for me, as the person at the top of the queue, I find it quite stressful because each new ring of the doorbell signifies a new person standing behind me, also wondering why the staff hasn't come out. So it has a genuine function as a sound to alert staff, but it also has developed a negative response from customers like me. In the digital space, more than ever, we are listening to sounds that communicate information to us, whether that's a notification, a warning, feedback or engagement. And these simple, brief sounds all come with a reason for their purpose, a story. So on today's Inside Intercom, I want to tell you the story of Intercom's messenger notification sound and how this one tiny sound, not even a second long, would become known infamously as the tinnitus cricket of death. When we first went to create the notification sound for the messenger, we just gave a little bit of thought to how we wanted to approach it and and not to just pick something from a sound library and, and actually put some thought into it. That's Emmett Connolly. I'm Emmett Connolly, director... Oh no, I got it wrong. <laughs> You're going to have an editing job on your hands with me. Emmett is senior director of product design at Intercom. We talked about what were some of the things we even thought of that came to mind when we talked about using sound in different products. And something that was interesting at the time actually was, you know, people often talk about hearing a piece of music or something and being transported back to memories of of years gone by. And then very quickly, we got to talking about how lots of people had the same associations with software, actually. Although I think most designers, and this is probably a blind spot, most designers think about the graphical user interface. There's even things that might necessarily have been designed up front, things like the modem sound. People were talking about, remember the modem sounds that totally transports you back or things that were designed like the, let's say the Windows 95 startup sound. 
I was actually recorded by Brian Eno, incidentally. And this really evocative thing that brings people back. And so these small little calling cards, auditory calling cards almost, were, were really, you know, remind people of things. And maybe a bit closer to home for us, things like the kind of knock brush effect in Slack, you know, of a Slack notification, even the little iMessage, you know, whoop, the, the chat bubble sending thing. You hear those things and it's like there's this Pavlovian response to, well, maybe positive or negative Pavlovian response to the product and that that brings you straight into the product in a sense. So for Intercom, we wanted to be thoughtful about the sound that we chose, that it would reflect our brand. And the process for that is not really massively complicated. It's going through a whole bank of options and trying to pick the one that matches the feel of the brand. And so for Intercom, that's looking for something that feels somewhat unique, but also friendly, accessible, not overwhelming. You know, so we eventually landed on the sound that we picked for our messenger and just wanted to build that brand association a little bit. The sound was created and added to our messenger and everything went fine and that's the end of the story. Well, not quite. You hear it when you get either a new conversation comes into the inbox. That's Sam Murray, a product engineer at Intercom. Or when you've got like a reply on one of your conversations that's in your inbox. Our notification sound was now out in the world, getting into people's ears. So it's like a little kind of chirp sound. It's how we typically call it, it's a chirp. Customers have called it other things, a bit more rude than that, like the tinnitus cricket of death, uh, one customer called it. Um, <laughs> you build these associations through sound, but I think those associations can also be subjective and some people it turns out love and some people hate. So the sound, the chirp, some people were finding it, well, annoying. And the team that I was working on, we were working on some quite big features and changes that, you know, take take a while to kind of come to fruition. And we thought it'd be nice to do some little things sort of to sort of fill in the gaps and solve some sort of immediate problems that were fairly easy to tackle. And we, we saw this as something that we, we could kind of fix fairly easily. Around the same time, Robert Dunleavy, who works in customer support at Intercom, got a message from a customer to let us know about a problem with the sound that we weren't even aware of. On a day-to-day basis in customer support, we would get a lot of feature requests. They can range from anything from bizarre stuff (laughs) that is never going to get built to genuinely good ideas. One of the days I was in the inbox, I just got this message from a customer who was having a lot of issues with the, the notification sounds. She has autism and found the sound triggered her sensory overload. But at the same time, she had attention deficit issues. She needed the sound to remind her that she had messages. But the way the message was worded, she was actually very complimentary of Intercom and how much she loves using it. And she was kind of saying, it's only a minor thing. It'd be really cool if it was fixed. My gut instinct was that if the engineers read this and they they saw it, that it was only a minor fix. It's something that could be fixed and that it was it was a story worth sharing. So Robert brought the story to Sam. So yeah, this kind of yeah caused us to really sit up and I think and double down on on the problem and trying to solve it. That was really useful to know about that. And it gave us a real focus of what new sounds should be like and what what kind of qualities they should have to prevent that kind of problem. 
you know, you got to think about our product, our messenger, as fitting into someone else's product or website. Emma Connolly again. And so we offer lots of little custom, visual customization options to help the messenger fit in with their brand, you know, the color and so on. And so this was really, I think, about extending that a bit slightly and, and elevating the fact that sound is part of how people think about their brand as well and, and giving them some extra options there. And so although it's a tiny little detail that you mightn't consciously think about, if someone is hearing this a lot and it's in their product, they feel a sense of ownership over it. And so I think it's important to give them some degree of control and customization over that sound. So Sam and the team opened up GarageBand and played around with different sounds. Kind of working out what kinds of sounds might be good. Just really experimentation. I actually found some kind of basically like electronic drum pad sounds. And actually a lot of the things in there are, are taken from like sort of drum samples, electronic drum samples, tweaked and modified to make them short and give them a kind of, you know, like a not be too loud, not be too long, that sort of thing. We also didn't want to make the same mistake twice with the new sounds, so we contacted the customer who'd reached out. When she reached out to us, we messaged back and, and asked her like if she'd be up for working with us to kind of work out what some better sounds might be. And yeah, it was great. She was, she was really up for doing that. So we put together six sounds and we kind of built an experiment and shipped it just, just to this customer for her to try out day to day. And she did that. She shared it with some of her colleagues as well, and they tried it out for a few weeks. She got back to us and said that some of the sounds were, were much, much better and really helped with the problem. So that gave us like the confidence that the sounds we'd, we'd made were, were good enough to ship with. Those six sounds are... Blip, bop, clack, hiss, shake and tink. We've kind of changed our mindset, I think, towards things like customization in the product. If I go back a few years ago at Intercom, you would have heard me saying to our designers, we shouldn't be adding preferences or customization. Every option, every preference that we add to the product is us abdicating our responsibility in making design decisions and foisting that upon our users, right? Instead, we should be making tough design decisions that on behalf of our users so that they don't have to think about that stuff. And I think that that was a very valid position to hold when you have a small number of users who are running, let's say, smaller businesses. And, and our users a long time ago were companies that might have been like the CEO was using Intercom as one of the 10 things that they needed to get done that day, right? And so they don't want to be futzing with a lot of tiny little details on the fringes. They want the simplest possible product that they can dive in, use and get out. As Intercom has grown and as our customers have grown, so have the type of users and the depth to which they're using Intercom. And so instead of being someone who uses Intercom as one of the 10 products they use throughout the day, get in, get out, get the job done. That's the imperative. It's someone who uses Intercom all day long. Their job is maybe to set it up so that it works best for their business, so that they're most effectively running their support or their marketing or their sales function on Intercom, all of their customer communications. And so for that user, they do require a greater depth of customization. And it really reflects one of our design principles, which is to try and strike that balance. The design principle is 
simple by default, powerful under the hood. And so you don't want to overcomplicate the product or sacrifice the simplicity of your experience. But you want to give, in some cases, people the opportunity to pop the hood and get in there and, and, and mess with the innards of the thing so that they can set it up the right way just for them. So that shouldn't be a necessity, but it should be an option. There's a lesson here about accessibility that like, when you're designing or, or building things, a lot of people who are going to use it have lots of different types of needs and experiences, and it can be hard to account for all of them. But I guess the first step is just, just knowing what they are, maybe doing some research about if you're designing sounds, like what different kinds of sounds affect people differently. Commonly on, on the web and designing for technology, it's often about visual things and interfaces, visual interfaces, and, and there's a lot of accessibility tools out there and uh, ways that you can design things visually to account for different accessibility needs. You know, it's not just uh, confined to, to visual things, there's you know, audio and things for people with different neurological needs as well. So Sam, you know what you have to do now, right? You have to make a full song, like a musical composition out of these new sounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Oh, maybe we get some of our customers to take the sounds and make their own songs as well. Stay tuned, because in just a moment, Sam is going to reveal which of the new six sounds is the most used. But first, thanks to Sam Murray, Robert Dunleavy and Emmett Connolly for sharing this story. If you're enjoying Inside Intercom, we would love to hear from you. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform, or let us know on social. Give us a shout out. Tag at Intercom. Okay, now to find out which of our six new sounds is currently top of the leaderboard. Last time I checked, which was a couple of weeks ago, Bop was miles away ahead of all the others. Although... Yeah, some of the others are, are still used quite a lot, but Bop is, yeah, by far the most popular. As for the chirp? So the, the chirp's not gone. You can still use the chirp. And the chirp sound, which is just called, in the settings, just called default, because it is the default sound. So any new people who go onto Intercom, they'll get that sound, but then they can change it if they don't like it. So yeah, the chirp lives on. 